Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Dr. Deborah So podcast. My guest this week is Lou Perez. Lou is a comedian and the author of That Joke Isn't Funny Anymore. He's also one of the first people I collaborated with when I became a journalist. If you enjoy the podcast, don't forget to subscribe. And you can find The End of Gender at drdebrasso.com and on Simon & Schuster's website. This week's sponsors are... Oh, that's right. We don't have any sponsors this week because both have decided to drop my podcast. <laughs> I wish I were joking, but I'm actually not. Both of my previous sponsors have decided to cancel their sponsorships due to the controversial nature of this show. Trust me, I have a lot more to say on this, but because I like to keep my episodes family friendly, I will just leave it there. So if you can, please consider supporting the podcast on Patreon at drdebrasso.com. That would help your girl out a lot. Other ways to show your support include leaving a rating and review. I do read all of them and telling five of your friends about the show. Thank you to all of you who have already done the above. It helps me out a lot. I love you guys so much. You are the absolute best upwards and onwards as always. So yeah, I haven't seen you. The last time I saw you was in LA in 2019 in person. I think when we, the last time I talked to you by video, your first son had been born. But so, so congratulations on your second son. Congratulations on your new job and also on your new book coming out. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. I, yeah. It's unreal how long ago uh, that live show was in LA. It, it feels like, mm -hmm. it feels like a different kind of timeline, a different universe in a way. Yeah. In some ways, I feel it really was. But I want to ask you about your book. So I really enjoyed it. Thank you also for including me in the acknowledgments. I thought it was really funny, really clever, and has summed up so much of what's been happening in the culture war in the last couple of years. So can we talk about your background uh, in terms of what has gotten you to where you are now and also what inspired you to write the book? Sure. Um, man, what, what's gotten, to me, gotten me to where I am uh, today? Well, I think... Uh, you know, you know, as, as an author to, wow, we're both authors. We're, we're both speaking, you know, it's like <laughs> we're on the same level now, you know, <laughs> we're like uh, twins. Yeah. We're, we're like, we're like twins. Uh, but yeah, my, mine is the sequel, uh, to, uh, <laughs> uh, to, to Deborah's book. Um, what, you know, like writing a book, it, it really gives you an opportunity to do some looking back and some introspection and all that. And it's a, it's a funny thing with, with comedy because I think so much of my, of my comedy career, um, I never really knew where it would take me. You know, I never really knew what kinds of gigs I would, I would be doing. Um, so when it comes to comedy, I think it was, uh, back in college, sort of, uh, my sophomore year were the attacks of September 11th. And, uh, uh, I don't know if there was something, something about that that sort of said like, oh, you know, maybe you should try to do something that you've always wanted to do, which was try to do comedy. Um, if, if, if it wasn't, I'm going to create that myth of myself. But I was, I was in college. That, that was my sophomore year. And then I think it was like my junior year where I was like, you know what? I've always wanted to do improv. And oh, here's a group that's doing, that's doing improv. So it's sort of, it went from let's try improv. That went into sketch comedy. Then uh, from there, it started, uh, you know, doing uh, live shows at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater in, in New York and L.A. and making videos on online. And then the past, you know, probably like six or, or seven years, um, I had an opportunity with uh, We the Internet TV to do something that I hadn't really done before, which was fuse 
my um, sketch comedy background with more of like my politics or you know the way that I, I view culture. And so that's what I was was doing for probably the past um, you know the past seven years and 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 now and it's sort of like within that little window is where the the book kind of really began I think yeah and that's where we initially connected yeah. because actually that that ten part series that we did on sex and gender was actually one of the first interviews I'd ever done so it remains to this day one of my favorite collaborations ever how have you found incorporating politics into your comedy, how has that affected you and also your career? Well, so my father, uh, my father is an immigrant to this country. Uh, he came from Argentina in, in like the seventies in the late seventies. And like, if anybody knows like history of Argentina, pretty volatile as far as like politics go. So my dad kind of comes from a place of, uh, you gotta be careful with what you say because there's a chance that you might have a knock on the door and someone might come and take you. And, uh, one of the, you know, one of the things, one of the gifts that, that my dad, you know, gave me was really pushing me to follow my dreams and follow, you know, what I want to get into, you know, and, uh, and which, uh, which is amazing, you know, uh, you know, to have a parent who's willing to, you know, support you in that way. My dad's working like six days a week as a butcher. And, uh, you know, that's his trade. He didn't graduate high school or, or anything like that. And, you know, to give me the opportunity to, uh, to pursue uh, something, uh, something like that is great. Um, and uh, when I started doing more of like political comedy, uh, I would often talk to him. And I was living in L.A. at the time and almost like every conversation that we had would always, you know, kind of end with my dad saying, you know, just be careful with what you say, because in your industry and I don't think he called it industry. You know, it's like, you know, it's, it's like, oh, man, yeah, I'm, a, you know, a captain of industry uh, or whatever. Uh, and he said, you know, because, you know, in your industry, you know, you know, people might, you know, might not want to work with you. You be blacklisted and stuff like that. And uh you know, my dad's being a dad, he's, he cares about his son and he wants me to succeed and he wants me to be happy and he wants me to, to do, you know, to do what I want to do. And, um, fortunately what I could, what I can say is that as I started opening up more and being more honest with what I believe and what, and how I see the world, rather than getting doors closed in my face, I think it opened up just so many more avenues for me to, um, to, to work. And, um, so that's something that, that I'm, that I'm really, uh, really happy with. And that's something that I found. It's like, oh, so the more honest I am, the, uh, you know, if, if there's like a PR person, they're like, oh, if you're authentic, you really lean into that, lean into being <laughs> authentic, you know? And it almost sounds like it could be a, a fake thing, but, but I found, but I found it was like, Oh wow! I'm uh, you know here I am saying the things that I that I believe or where I at least believe to be funny, and it's getting great feedback. Some of it, you know, a lot of it negative feedback, but then also I have a, a bunch of people who really appreciate that I'm out there doing what, what I do, and um, you know, so so that that's something that I, that I think I'm pretty fortunate to have been able to do. That's amazing because I hear pretty consistently that comedy is very much, it's like every institution, it's been taken over by leftists. And even if you aren't necessarily right-leaning 
any criticism of the left or even any more moderate views are really frowned upon. There's only one way or one view that you can take and has to be an activist driven one. And if not, then you're not going to get opportunities or people are going to shun you and not want to work with you. So I think that's incredible that it's been a positive thing for you. And you're very fair in terms of your comedy, like you poke fun at the left and the right. Why do you think more comedians are not doing the same? They're not willing to be as open. My sense is there's still a lot of fear for many people. Hmm. You know, I think, I think that there's probably a number of reasons. Like one, I think that something that that's happened with the times that we're living in is where so, so much is wrapped up in, in politics where you have comedians and I know comedians who, you know, voted Democrat their whole life are, you know, really, um, you know, sort of, uh, proud liberals who during the Trump administration, if they shared a joke that mocked their own side, they would get so much flack for it. It's like, how, it's like, are you insane? How can you make fun of us at this time, at this time in history? Um, you know, anything that you do can somehow, you know, you know, uh, trigger, you know, the end of the world, you know, to, to, to some degree. Like there was just so much wrapped up in, in just a setup and a punchline, you know? Hysteria. Yeah, yeah, I- I- exactly. And, you know, that I think, I think when you have uh, a lot of comedians who, you know, they don't intend to be political at all. You know, a lot of people like don't even get into politics and, you know, sort of uh, the idea of kind of being forced into it, I think is, is really unattractive. You know, it's sort of like, um, you know, forced to do these, uh, you know, it's like, oh man, do I have to do like anti-Trump jokes? Like, do I have to, mm-hmm. you know, do I have to do that? Um, so I think it's a mix of a lot of comedians who just aren't political they don't want to be political, you know, not uh, not being willing to say, you know, to, to speak up. But then, you know, I think there there's the, the other you know side of it, too, of, of you know, really uh, being fearful of, you know, not only losing career opportunities, but losing um, friends as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's something that we've seen uh, seen a, a lot of. I, it's uh, there, at one point in the in the Trump administration, I, I said I, I put. I put this out there and I said, you know, to think that there are people who have abandoned family members over this man is astonishing. And I worded it in such a way where you could take it both ways. You know, you could Mm -hmm. take it as, you know, you've abandoned people because they support this man or you have people who've abandoned you because you don't support this man. Um, And I think the, you know, we are social creatures and, uh, comedians in particular are in need of an audience, and there are quite a few of a few of us who, you know, sort of have that uh, psychology of wanting attention and wanting love and wanting praise, especially from. I thought you were going to say there are some of us who love to alienate people and end up isolated and alone. <laughs> oh wow! Oh yeah, there's definitely those ones too. Yeah, yeah. No, those of us who speak our minds. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> for sure. But it, it's something that that I found too, like in the. Uh, in, I did an interview shortly after uh, Trump won, and I think I was, I was asked a question along the lines of, you know, so h- how are you coping or how, how are you going to cope? <laughs> and it's like, well, I, at the time, it's like I have a wife and I have friends and I have family and I have people I care about and, and I have my work. Like, 
that that's how I'm going to cope, you know, cope, you know, in, in, um, in quotation marks. And, um, I feel like that, that might be something that a lot of people, uh, you know, comedians might not have. And mm-hmm. maybe they're, maybe there's a fear there as well. It's like, well, if I speak out, you know, maybe I am going to be, uh, alone in a hotel room right now at this moment where I am. It is a nice looking hotel room though. It's pretty cool. I get that fear of ostracization. What percentage do you think of comedians actually believe the things that they're saying in terms of the ones that are really activist driven or how many do do you think are just going along with it because it's going to help their career or because they don't want to lose their friends? Hmm. Um, I don't know what the, what the breakdown would be, but, but something that I, that I try to, that I try to do is, you know, you, you hear the word grifter thrown, thrown around a lot. And, um, I think it's, you know, it's easy to throw that around, uh, at, at people, especially if you disagree with them, you know, it's a, mm-hmm. you know, to try to find, you know, like there's gotta be a, a reason that they're doing this, you know, it's gotta be monetary or they're chasing clout or, uh, you know, fans. Um, I try to look at it as I'm, I, I think that a lot of people believe what they're actually putting out there. Um, and it's a lot easier for them to put a lot of the stuff out there because there's a kind of a convergence of they believe it and it's safe for them to believe it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, as far as the, you know, the amount of people out there who are, you know, putting stuff out that they don't really believe in, I, you know, I don't know what that is, but I guess that, that's sort of the, you know, one of the good things about being a comic is that, you know, I guess technically you can put a lot of stuff out that you don't believe, um, you know, and that's, I guess, where, you know, where trolling comes in and, and, uh, and stuff like that. I want to talk about the chapters in your book. And what I like about it is I feel it takes, the book takes us on this journey in terms of your life and you, you throw in some anecdotes of things that have happened to you, but also mix in your commentary in terms of the various news issues. So what was your favorite chapter to write? I, th- I think one of my favorite chapters to write was, uh, it's titled Aged Out. Um, and, uh, I think a part of that, why, why I enjoy that so much is that I got a, a chance to sort of go back to young Luis, uh, in, in college, like right before, uh, going to college. And, uh, I opened the chapter by talking about how, you know, I feel bad for all the, uh, the actors in Hollywood who, you know, sucked all the wrong mm-hmm. and it's like, <laughs> That's funny. and it's, and it's so sad, you know, and it's like, you know, something that, that they don't tell you about is like, you know, people who sleep the way to sleep the way to the top, they still have to be good at it, you know, and you have all these people, maybe they were good at it, but they didn't have good representation and all that. And it's basically me looking back as a 40 year old man and saying like, there's no way I'm sleeping my way to the top now. Like that whole window of youth and, you know, being at the, at the, the top of my, uh, of my, my looks game, you know, when I had, when my forehead wasn't as, as pronounced as it is now, it's sort of like those years are, those years are gone. But young Luis, that boy, you know, that boy, he could have done it. You know, if, he could have gone a different way. He could have <laughs> gone a different way. He could have, he could have, he could have made his way in the world with his, uh, with his, his lips and his abs and, um, and, and all that. So, so that was, that was a fun one to write. And, I think something that happened with the, with the book, you know, uh, 
when I first, you know, started, I'm like, I, I don't think I, I don't think I'm going to be able to write all this stuff. Like, like you need so much material for, for a book. And then as I got into it, I was like, oh, man, I have too much to write, too much material. Mm. And then certain things just started popping up on their own that I didn't really realize. And by the time I get to the to the last chapter of the book, the, the last chapter, uh, Live, Laugh, Love, uh, it's called. It's like I didn't know that that chapter was in me until it was out of me on the on the page and there was a uh, uh yeah in, in the chapter not to give too much away but um i talk about the uh the death of a friend at the end of uh 2020 and uh you know writing a book about comedy and then also um confronting something like that was uh was very necessary for me i, I think what was the most difficult chapter to write the most difficult chapter to write i think there was one, uh, it's, I think it's called I Am Become Death. I think that, that's probably the, was the most difficult and uh, I think probably the most controversial. Um, I don't want if, if anybody, if you, if you see this book in a bookstore, just go read that chapter and then you could probably be, be done with it. And, uh, but um, I, I think that was difficult because uh, the characters that I'm talking about are real people and... Uh, their views of me um, and people like me, I think, were so um, so off-putting and upsetting that I had to try to find a way to to write it where I wasn't just uh, kind of uh, I don't know taking revenge out, you know, on on them, uh, and uh, you know, try to keep it uh, entertaining, try to throw some jokes in there. Um, and, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, produce something that, that is, that, 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 that's both controversial, but something that, um, people can get something out of. I'm being, I'm, I'm being so vague on, uh, Is, is this a chapter where you're at an event with your wife and the server comes up to you? I'm trying to remember which one this was. No, this was the one where I was, um, I voted third party and because mm -hmm. I voted third party, I was told that I was responsible for the deaths of trans people. <laughs> so because I, th I voted third. I hate to break it to you, Lou, but. <laughs> I am. Oh, my God. Oh, no. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, because I voted uh, third party in New York that Hillary Clinton won handedly, somehow I was still responsible for the deaths <laughs> of you know, possibly millions of trans people I'd never met before. And, uh, um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's something like that where, you know, if I have blood on my hands, I really need to know how I got that blood on my hands. Uh, so, uh, that, that chapter is, uh, is sort of an, an exploration of, of that way of looking at, uh, that, that mentality that, that you could, you know, reach out to somebody and, and charge them with, with, murder or manslaughter or trans manslaughter. I don't know how they want to call it. Uh, so yeah, that, I think that was a tough one to write. I like that you are very fair. As I mentioned, you poke fun at both sides. So you make fun of, I know recently you did bits on, or I'm not sure if bit is the right term or monologue, but you were making fun of how the left views monkeypox. And then you also did another bit on how the right views anchor babies, which I thought was pretty funny. Um, do you find that audiences are typically receptive to the fact that you make fun of both sides? 
Yeah, t- some of them. Uh, some of them are uh, the ones who stuck with me uh, over the years. Uh, you know, they, they get it, and I think the ones who get it really have a hard t- have a have a really great time seeing the people who don't get it. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, and you know, so that's uh, so that's fun. Um, you know, one of the things that that I learned, you know, sort of uh, over the years of doing political comedy is uh, when I make fun of the left. Like they get the joke, they don't think it's funny, and they think I'm a, and they think I'm a bad person for telling it. And then when I make fun of the right, they don't get the joke. <laughs> they don't think it's funny, and then they think they can kick my ass. So it's sort of, <laughs> so, so it's sort of like somewhere in between is the sweet spot of you know the people <laughs> yeah. who really uh, who, who really enjoy my stuff. My sense is people sometimes get this sense of betrayal because I think of, for me as a journalist, if I'm writing something, they really like what I say about one issue, but then I say something that they don't like about a different issue. They think like, how could you do that? But I think that's so important to be balanced. There are people out there who appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you're also, you know, you're, you're kind of the type of journalism that you do is so much of it is grounded in, if not the truth, then the search for truth and you know, trying to figure out, okay, what's, what's really happening and, and, and what's, uh, you know, what's made up, I, I, I guess. And, um, you know, I, I, when you see, you know, so many of the, so many of the debates that are, um, that are happening, uh, you know, you wonder like, do, do you people care about, about what's true? Mm. And what, you know, do, do you even care? Yeah. And I think it's, a, it, it's, it, it's a little tough, uh, What's made it tougher for comedy, I think, in the past few years is that there's been such a uh, a turn against uh, institutions and so much faith has been lost in our institutions, whether it's academia, politics, um, entertainment and, mm-hmm. you know, the glamour of Hollywood has really been you know, kind of peeled away, uh, which I, I think overall is very good. You know, it's very good. But. Then what's why? Why do you think it's a good thing? I'm curious. I think I think natural. Uh, I, I think skepticism of those in, in power is a, is a good thing, um, and being willing to question, you know, those who, who are in power and trying to and seeing what they're what they're feeding you. You know, right. um, I, I think I, to, to that extent, I think I think for sure. But I think where it's messed up comedy is that you know at, at some point you know comedians have gotten this this uh, label of truth tellers. And it's like, oh yeah. my God, man, like, please don't turn to me for the truth. Like, please don't. That, <laughs> no? that is way too much, way too much pressure. But if you want to turn to me for a good time and a laugh, great. I'm, I'm, I'm cool with that. But do you think that, I find what's really funny is the things that are true, but you can't say. And I think there's something about comedians, especially gutsy ones who are willing to push the envelope in that way and say the things out loud that we know are true, but no one is going to say it because you don't offend people or whatever. But then you can't hide your response. The laughing is an involuntary response. The falsehoods come in when someone's trying to push an agenda. But if you're not necessarily coming in with an agenda and you're just making commentary about life, I, I feel comedy is so powerful in that way in that if it's done well, it can really make people think about things and change their perspective do you think the industry will ever return to something like that? Or is it going to fracture like so many other industries in which you have now the woke version and then you have 
people who have somewhat gone out on their own or doing their own thing, they build their own platform or audience away from the mainstream. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the one of the reasons why I'm I'm very hopeful about comedy and, and the future of comedy, you know, as my subtitle says, you know, on the death and rebirth of comedy, uh, I'm very hopeful because of you know the technology that we have now to be able to you know do these conversations like you and I are having, um, where you know comedians are able to find and grow an audience on their own where they don't need the same gatekeepers that you would need, you know, years back. Then you have comedians who have, you know, they have cultivated an audience and they're able to put their specials out uh, independently and get hundreds of thousands of views, some of them, you know, millions of views. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, as far as, you know, uh, you know, the industry, you know, changing or going back, um, I I don't know. I mean, I don't necessarily know what that's going to look like. I mean, I saw... Recently, there was a, an article about late night TV kind of changing their whole, um, uh, changing their lineups. Like maybe there's going to be some shows that have been on for, you know, decades and won't be on anymore because they're just not, you know, they're just not working. But I'm, I'm sort of, I'm sort of of the mind of, I, I kind of gave up on this idea of, of trying to change systems as opposed to just seeing what kind of work I can do, um, you know, on my own and, and kind of build out, build out from there, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, it is, uh, it, it is going to be interesting to see, you know, what the responses are, are going to be like, you know, uh, or, you know, from the, uh, the powers that be in a, in a few years. Can you talk about how, cause you touch on this in the book, how diversity is now being prioritized to some extent over talent. Yeah, I, I, I there's, uh, there was a, uh, a a talk that I, I mentioned in my book. It was um, at a a conference. I think it was a, a conference about sort of uplifting um, women in the. Uh, I don't know if it was in the entertainment industry in particular, but this uh, panel was. Uh, you had a host, and I think you had three or four uh, women uh, comedians. Um, and, uh, one of the comedians was, uh, uh, lesbian, Hispanic, and I forget what the other, what the other thing was. And, um, and the host made a, made a joke and, and, and said, oh, you're a triple threat. Um, <laughs> and, you know, for anyone who's, you know, familiar with, uh, you know, showbiz parlance, you know, triple threat used to mean like, she acts, she sings, she dances, she's got it all. And now it's, you know, uh, oh yeah, that's right. It's lesbian woman and, and Hispanic. Like now your identity makes you a triple, a quote unquote, triple threat. Um, and, uh, I think, you know, something like that, it's just, I mean, it, we happen to be like, you know, in an industry where it's like, well, if you have an audience, you know, people want to come see you, then it really doesn't matter, uh, you know, what you are. You know, if, if somebody puts mm-hmm. you in into if somebody puts you in front of a camera just because you have these um, immutable characteristics um, and an audience wants to tune in. Well, there you go. You got to you, you know, you got to show. Um, ultimately, I think the talent needs to be there or else it's uh, it's going to fizzle, you know, at, at some yeah. point. Um, it's not going to be funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, it, but it's also something that's just so, it's just so transparent. And can you imagine like, you know, just seeing that and not calling it out? <laughs> how don't you talk about just how 
you know, how ridiculous that is. And when it comes to, uh, you know, issues of diversity, we just see it playing out that way in just so many different, so many different, uh, uh, you know, institutions and, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it is, it is comical for sure without even trying. I imagine though, because I've talked to people who hold these views and who think that's a good thing and who think if you say you're, you're hiring someone based on their sex and their race, that the assumption is that that person is obviously the best or even potentially better than other candidates who are not of that sex and race. But it's just that you are prioritizing that because that's the right thing to do. What would you say to that? To say, okay, well, maybe the entertainment industry does need a bit more diversity in terms of race, or there need to be more women in on camera or behind the camera and in the in the writers' rooms. I mean, is that necessarily a bad thing? Uh, well, in one of the chapters, uh, uh, I believe it's D I E, short for uh, diversity, <laughs> inclusion, and equity. Um, you know, I talk about, you know, even with the best of intentions. Right. It's like, do we actually have a population that can meet these quotas, you know, if, if you will? And you just, you know, you start looking at um, uh, there have been quite a few people who have you know, done breakdowns of, say, for example, roles in Hollywood or award shows. And uh, there was one, I think, a few a few years back where one of the ethnic groups, if you want to call it, that was, you know, underrepresented for their, you know, uh, their percentage in the, in the population were Latinos. So to actually be more equitable, you would have to be casting more Latinos, you know, then you would get into questions of, well, wait a minute, like, are the Latinos going to be looking like me or are they going to look like more, you know, uh, uh, you know, people with, uh, you know, more, in, more indigenous, uh, blood in them, uh, as I say in my book, I found out I have some indigenous in me. So that's pretty cool. Like 4%. Yeah. 4. <laughs> I'm happy for 4. you. 4.8%. So, you know, so. I'll celebrate for you. <laughs> thank you. Um, you know, so when it, when it comes to that, you know, you start questioning, well, you know, so, okay, if you have a, an award show and, um, uh, you know, 12% of the people nominated are black, and black people are about, you know, 13% of the population. Like, oh, that's pretty on, poor, on par. But what you find is, like, even if the numbers check out, uh, that nobody's happy, you know? And it's like, mm -hmm. okay, so something else is going on here. There's something else that's, that's, that they mean by diversity or representation, you know? And, you know, the idea that you're going to have, you know, uh, you know, equal amounts of men and women in front of and behind the camera, um, I think is just, is just ludicrous. And a lot of it, you know, comes down to, you know, a lot of people, you know, personal choices of what, the, what industry they, you know, they want to, they want to get into in the first place. So. Yeah. I've heard stories of people being hired solely because of their race. And in some cases, those people have no actual experience, but they're just being picked because of their race. And so to me, I don't think the final product is necessarily going to be very good then, because regardless of race, if someone doesn't know what they're doing and they don't have the proper training, especially in an industry as competitive as Hollywood. So I think the market will self-correct. And I, we already see that happening with these films that are coming out that are so political and they're just alienating their audience. 
Why do you think some people actually like that stuff, though? There's a segment of the population who enjoys political comedy or entertainment that is political, but is not actually funny or interesting. <laughs> Man, uh, why do they like that? I wonder if it if if it's like um, their version of sort of looking in a mirror, uh, but the reflection is a lot better looking than what they are. So you have people who, you know, they're like, that person is saying exactly what I believe and they're doing it in a much more articulate way than I am capable of. And my God, it's almost like in a way, aren't I kind of like famous or aren't I kind of like a celebrity because we have the same, you know, we share the same views. Uh, hmm. You know, maybe there, there's a little, maybe there's a little something like that. I don't know. Or it's aspirational. This is how they think the world should be. So that's what they want to be spending their free time watching. Or, or, or uh, yeah, yeah. And, and I think maybe part of that is I, I have to support this show because it's, it's good. And it, it, not, not necessarily because it, it is good and entertaining, but because it's good. This is what good people, Ugh. this is what good people want. I don't know if we're, if, we're, if we're writing a sketch right now, you know, basically, of just <laughs> like, like, no, I want to be a good person. I need to support this really <laughs> show. Um, That's what it feels like, though. Whenever I try to watch these woke shows, I just feel even there's no relevance. There's no reason why you have to inject your politics into it, but it's always there. And I, I usually don't last very long. What is next for you? I know the book has just come out, but what are your future plans? Oh, wow. Um, my future plans, I uh, definitely want to be performing more. Um, mm. I'm, I'm looking forward to actually taking the book out on the road. So I have, uh, you know, some dates uh, that are, uh, you know, coming, uh, uh, that are going to be, you know, on the calendar uh, soon. Yeah. How did you, how did you find the book writing process? Um it was uh, it was a very wild time in, in my life. Mm -hmm. So while I was writing this book, um, my wife was pregnant. Uh, we had a a one year old. Yeah, I believe our oldest was one. We were uh, living in an apartment, a one bedroom apartment in Brooklyn. Wow. Then. We were trying to sell that one bedroom apartment in Brooklyn. We had this like whole dream thing of like we purchased another apartment in the in, in the in the building with the hopes of we would fix that apartment up, move into it, then sell this other one and then, you know, mm -hmm. pay off, you know, all the you know, all that. Then the co-op board said, no, you're not going to do that. <laughs> so I was in a position where, you know, where that was real. And then I just, I'd, I'd lost my job in October, mm -hmm. uh, in October of 2020. And uh, then we found a house and we bought a house and we had to renovate that house and we couldn't live in the house. So we were living with my in-laws for around four months while I was writing this book. Uh, it was an insane time to be writing. I, I handed in the first draft seven days before my second son was born. And two, wow. and two weeks before we had a kitchen, um, <laughs> you know, so um, I think, you know, I don't know how many, you know, days or, or years off my life this book took. Um, <laughs> so I want to be able to squeeze every ounce out of it that I possibly can. It's like when you have like a really great like a, a bit in stand up, 
you want to just keep squeezing that until you just can't. Yeah, just keep working. Just keep (laughs) squeezing. Like my, I have some material about my wife being pregnant that I will continue to do for the next 50 years. You know, people are going to be like, look, it doesn't make any sense. Your wife's got to be like 70 years old. No, no, no. <laughs> this bit is so good and it works that, that you know, we're going to keep doing that. Yeah, don't ruin it. Don't ruin it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking to, you know, promote this book uh, as, as much as I can. Um, looking forward to performing live stand-up. Um, going to be talking at, at colleges, too, to talk about, you know, some of the themes. Oh, awesome. Themes in the book and uh, producing stuff uh, as well. Producing, uh, you know, more comedy that, that'll, live, that'll live online. So... All right. Awesome. Well, where can everybody find you? Uh, you guys can find me at theluperez.com and on basically all social media at theluperez. And uh, if you want to uh, if you want to throw a few bucks my way, I'm on locals, uh, locals.com, theluperez.locals.com.